Decisive Point introduces Conversations on Strategy, a U.S. Army War College Press production featuring distinguished authors and contributors who explore timely issues in national security affairs. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and are not necessarily those of the Department of the Army, the U.S. Army War College, or any other agency of the U.S. government. Conversations on Strategy welcomes Dr. Bettina Renz, author of Why Russia is Reviving Its Conventional Military Power, published in Parameters Summer 2016 issue. Renz is a professor of international security at the School of Politics and International Relations at the University of Nottingham. She obtained her MA and MSc in Russian Studies at the University of Edinburgh and completed her PhD at the Center for Russian and East European Studies, University of Birmingham. Welcome, Dr. Renz. Thank you for sharing your time with us today. I'm so glad you're here. Let's talk about your 2016 article, Why Russia is Reviving Its Conventional Military Power. In it, you note that this was about more than preparing for offensive action. Russia wants to be seen as a world power. Please lay the groundwork for our listeners and briefly walk us through your article. So I wrote this article in the aftermath of the annexation of Crimea in 2014, and pretty much What I'm calling for in the article is that we need to view what is going on in Russia at all times, really, within more historical context, and in particular, the annexation of Crimea and what happened afterwards, not as a sudden turnaround or an unexpected event. And because I think we encounter this problem quite often in Western assessments of Russia, again and again, I think we are again in danger of making the same mistakes. There's a tendency to hyperbole when assessing Russian military capabilities and intentions. So during the 1990s, there was very much the view in the West that Russia was finished as a global actor. It had very weak conventional military. There was the assumption that Russia no longer had any ambitions in that respect, and it was only interested really in fighting small wars in its periphery and performed very badly there. And against this background, then, the sort of lack of attention paid to Russia, the annexation of Crimea in 2014 came as a surprise to many. And then assessments of Russia and of the military capabilities and ambitions pretty much flipped to the other extreme almost overnight. So all of a sudden there was the assumption that Russia pretty much now had almost surpassed the US or the West when it comes to military capabilities. A lot of focus spent by analysts and so on on new technology that the Kremlin and Putin was propagating, like the hypersonic weapons and so on. A lot of emphasis on hybrid warfare as a major danger to Russia and to its neighbors. And now in 2022, of course, what we have, a clear escalation of the war in Ukraine that in fact has been going on since 2014. This is clearly a very offensive and aggressive military operations that has very serious danger of escalation beyond Ukraine. But the focus seems to be by many analysts now on how poorly the Russian armed forces are doing operationally even talking about the Russian military as a paper tiger and so on. So these assessments are not useful, and I deal with that in the article. So in the article, I show that conventional military power, in addition to nuclear deterrence, of course, was actually always important to Russia. It was important for upholding the Soviet Union's power during the Cold War. It was seen as important under Yeltsin, even already in the 1993 military doctrine, uh, very ambitious plans laid out for conventional military capabilities. It was only affordable at the time. And then since 2000, also President Putin immediately focused on conventional military power as important. And the military reforms that occurred in Russia then, especially since 2008, military modernization were conducted not only to fight wars more efficiently, but especially really to recreate powerful military for Russia as a symbol of great power status. Because 
Russia, again, this is nothing recent. Russia always saw itself as a great power, even during the 1990s, where when it came to military capabilities, that wasn't really the case. So there is a challenge for the West, and this is what I pose in the article as well. How do we deal with this? How do we deal with Russian great power ambitions and its preparedness also to use military force? The West and the United States and its allies and coalition partners have been used to being able to stand up to opponents and various dictators and so on, intervene in various humanitarian situations since the 1990s. But of course, Russia is different from these opponents. And there's only so much that the West can do about stopping or preventing Russia from using conventional military power because of the danger of nuclear escalation, as we also see now in the war in Ukraine. Here's a quote from your piece. Russia has used armed forces to pursue a variety of policy objectives throughout the post-Cold War years, including various peace enforcement operations across the former Soviet region at the beginning of the late 1990s, the Chechen Wars, the war with Georgia in 2008, in Ukraine started in 2014 and most recently in Syria. And as you mentioned, the current situation, the continuation of, of that in Ukraine. Do you think Russia's just feeling emboldened, as you predicted in your article, or is this something else? Russia, of course, has been using military force to pursue various interests, objectives, and this is nothing new since the early 1990s. And again, this is something we have to bear in mind. So what Russia was dealing there, especially in its neighborhood where yeah, various security concerns, concerns about destabilization and so on, extremism, but also very importantly, status concerns were always important to Russia, especially regionally. So what Russia, the Kremlin, has long called or sees as its sphere of influence, the former Soviet region. And they became involved in various armed conflicts, civil wars and so on in the early 1990s. But they kept forces, Russian military units in all of these areas, Georgia, Moldova, Tajikistan, that they were involved in as so-called peacekeepers. Uh, since 1992. And as such, really, then the war in Ukraine is nothing new. Very much 2014, the annexation of Crimea was also about regional status concerns, first of all. So from the Kremlin point of view, and we see that in an extreme form now in 2022, they have been seeing an independent Ukraine that is pursuing its own independent foreign policy as a threat to Russian interests in this particular region, in what Russia sees as its sphere of influence. So the war has been ongoing since 2014, but of course escalated significantly since February 2022 all over in Ukraine. But also we shouldn't disregard then the international status concerns. These are also important. And what is important here from the point of view of the Kremlin is to show that Russia is a force to be reckoned with, to show this to the West and to the United States. There has been a lot of talk over the last decade or more about the multipolarity the wish to you know, have a, a multipolar system where Russia would play an important role. And the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, was just again talking about this with regard to what is going on now in Ukraine. Uh, a lot of discussion uh, in Russia and criticism really of what they have been seeing as a U.S. monopoly on the use of force, a very a tendency to portray humanitarian interventions than by NATO and so on. Throughout the years, going back especially to the Kosovo War, Operation Allied Force in 1999, as an excuse of the West to expand power of dismissing that this is about humanitarian issues and so on. And, and this, of course, has been going on for two decades after the Cold War already. So the U war in Ukraine now in 2022, first of all, is about Ukraine, about the Kremlin's 
refusal to accept that Ukraine is a sovereign and independent state that can decide on its own politics internally and internationally. It's about destroying Ukrainian national identity in the state. But it also is to show to the West, to the US in particular, and to NATO, that there are limitations on the use of force by the US and by the West. More or less saying, well, we can do what we want in our sphere of influence and you have to stand by and you can't do anything about it unless you want to risk nuclear war. And this is, of course, a very difficult situation. One of the implications you bring up is the possibility of a potential shift in the global power structure. Does that apply here or maybe I should be asking how does that apply here? Well, from the Kremlin's point of view, again, yes, this applies here. So again, the Kremlin, uh, the foreign minister, Lavrov, just speaking about the dawn of a new multipolar era and so on. I see it a little bit differently. So the outcome of the war in Ukraine is not yet clear. What is clear, I think, is that the Putin regime, or Russia as it exists now with its current political system, will not be able to survive this war in the long term, because this war is simply strategically unwinnable for the Kremlin. I'm not talking here about the immediate military operations. I'm talking about the longer term. I don't think there is any reason to expect a fast collapse, unfortunately, of Putin's regime at the moment. So the war in Ukraine 2022 was a clear strategic miscalculation, not only regarding Russia's ability to achieve their objectives in Ukraine immediately, but also miscalculation about how the West would react. So while Russia got away relatively lightly with Crimea in 2014, the war in Georgia in 2008 and so on, this extreme and unprovoked war of aggression now against Ukraine will not be forgotten. There will be no return to normal on this occasion, no matter how the war plans out. And so it will change Russia's relationship with the West and with the EU also significantly and irrevocably, I would say. Of course, we have to bear in mind that not all states are against this war, or at least not as strongly. So there are other countries, China, India, Pakistan, and so on, that are not as unambiguously condemning Russian actions and human rights abuses and war crimes. And some of those countries, of course, share the views in particular with Russia about the West and about the US and the international order. But I already warned in the article in 2016 that Russia can and will not win another arms race against the West if it comes to it, um, just as the Soviet Union was unable to win this. So as I mentioned before, President Putin prioritized military modernization and military reforms right from the outset of his presidency. But for quite a few years, it was unclear how far he would go with this, whether he would yet again, like was done in the Soviet Union, prioritize military power over all other instruments of statecraft at the expense of many other areas of the state and of development. But I think now it's clear that Putin, again, failed to build a state in Russia that could truly compete internationally or have much to offer really in areas other than military power and military aggression, either politically or economically. So it's clear there are some states around the world that have not yet joined the clear condemnation of Russia's actions in Ukraine. But these actions, and especially these extreme worst excesses and human rights violations, they will have an impact on Russia's international image long term. And I don't think it will be seen as a reliable or predictable or desirable partner anywhere in the longer term. And also from the point of view of affordability, of course, with the sanctions that will continue for a long time, putting everything into military power as well, Russia's only instrument really to compete internationally is not something that Russia will be able to survive in the long term. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on this topic and for making time for us today. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode of Conversations on Strategy and would like to hear more, you can find us on any major podcast platform. 